You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so excited to bring this 51st episode to you. As always, please uh, download and subscribe and rate wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. And please follow me on social media at the Michael Kushner or at your multi-hyphenate. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can also email me at dearmultihyphenate at gmail.com. Little update on the book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate. Uh, it's, it's, it's chugging along and, um, writing a book is very hard, but I think I'm going to be able to, to bring you a really cool, um, cohesive, uh, journey of how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business in the 21st century. Uh, lots of things that we've talked about in the podcast, but also lots of things that we haven't yet covered in the podcast. So, uh, that's going to be coming your way in 2022, spring of 2022, and I'm really excited to share more information with that. Uh, but anyway, let's move on with this with this next episode. I have Roger Q. Mason, who is an award-winning writer, performer, and educator known for using history's lens to highlight the biases that separate rather than unite us. Mason's playwriting has been seen all over New York in various locations like Broadway Circle and Square and uh, the New York Theater Workshop, New Group, Dixon Place, the Fleet Theater, Access Theater. So many uh, wonderful uh, spaces have um, been able to share Mason's incredible, incredible insight. And this episode, I'm going to be very honest with you, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Roger is so hysterical and so uh, spiritual and wonderful and just amazing. And uh, I, I really feel like I've not only made a lifelong friend, but I feel like we've been friends for um, forever. So uh, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, again, rate, comment, subscribe. And thank you to Broadway Podcast Network uh, for giving me this opportunity to speak to all of you. Thank you to Alan, my producer, Dory, Britt, Katie, Yo, and Patrick, who engineered this episode. And as always, we start with a quote. But this time, I actually, it's not like a quote that's like, oh, said by, you know, uh, 
Krista McAuliffe, or I don't know why Krista McAuliffe was the first person to come to my mind, but, um, or like Teddy Roosevelt or, or Rosa Parks. It's not, it's not, it, this quote is more of an excerpt from my guest's website and it's their, uh, their philosophy on telling stories. And on their website, it says, I love telling stories and the most immediately fulfilling way I do so is through live performance. There's nothing in this world like the rush of bearing yourself before a room of people. You learn what you're made of as a storyteller. There's no return button, no time to edit, just you, the people, and opportunity. I'm so excited to welcome Roger Q. Mason. How are you? Honey, I don't even remember when I said that, but I'm, I mean, I, I suppose I did. <laughs> you probably didn't even say it. It was just your website person and they were like, yeah, well, this sounds like Roger. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it feels, it, I, I, if I didn't say it, which I, I'm, I'm sure I did at some point, it certainly does feel like me because, um, to me, there really is nothing like live performance. And live performance is really what reinvigorated my work as a writer. If if I were to name the single most important thing that happened over the last five years to me, it was that I ordered a pair of heels uh, in size 15 from some drag queen's website. And I got on the stage in Soho and and, and played Molasses Jones in a reading of my play, um, The Pride Alliance. And doing that really changed my relationship to writing. And it never has been the same. And thank goodness for it. Isn't that incredible? You know, we all um, we all have an inciting incident. Speaking of writing, right? We all have this inciting incident that uh, spurs a moment in our artistic identity in our lives. And- I love how personal these inciting moments can be, you know, this, you know, you buying the heels and playing Molasses Jones and um, mine was, you know, my grandma teaching me stage right from stage left in front of the Mary Poppins VHS, you know, when I was three years old and we all have these incredibly personal inciting incidents. And, um, you know, I think as multi hyphenates, we are performers and writers and and all and all of these incredible wonderful proficiencies i think that we have to pay attention to those inciting incidents because that's when it sort of keys us in to the moments where we have to sort of go what's next right right what when do you feel like um you really paid attention to those moments like uh uh, because that's what we have to do, right? As artists, we have to constantly reflect and and wonder w- where we fit in the world. And I'm just wondering, like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I mean, I have to take you all the way back to, um, I would say, middle school or let's elementary go. School. You know, I, what what has happened to me in the last year is that I wrote an elegant apology note and amplification to my 12 year old self. And, and, and I told her, she, they, them, not he, not, not the, the gender that was assigned because that individual already was living in the, they, them generation. That individual already knew my 12 year old self. And I remember when I was in middle school, 
I would audition for these these musicals. They they had um these sort of like, you know, Broadway junior musicals, but it was a different company at the time. I don't remember which one. And and I would go and I would audition and I would feel the most free and unabashed that I'd ever felt in my life. I mean, talk about a Billy Elliot moment, honey. Mm -hmm. She was free. That was a free bird. And that was taken away by respectability, by queer shaming, by familial gender policing over the next six to eight years through high school, through college. And I had to spend the next 10 years reclaiming a relationship to that 12-year-old self, because all I ever wanted to do was sing the blues. There I was, 12 years old, you know? And I remember I would sing, won't you come along with me to the Mississippi? We'll take a boat. Oh, I'm not gonna sing it, my voice is gone today. But um, I, I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do was sing the blues, you know? And I felt most, unabashed as that person. So then we come into writing and um, writing in the beginning was a separate act from performance and, and, and theatrical life. Because at that time I was interested still in being a man of letters. So I still had a very two dimensional literary relationship to writing. I hadn't quite understood that writing was a blueprint, at least for theater. I hadn't understood writing as a blueprint for a performance event. I didn't understand that yet. And so I was still writing from a literary place and I was writing to be approved and applauded for my linguistic intelligence. Because I wanted, you know, I wanted daddy and mommy to say good job. Mm -hmm. Well, honey, she had to wig the fuck out. <laughs> Literally. And when I did, then the writing became less about begging for uh, acceptance and respectability. And it became more about telling the damn truth. And doing it through an embodied way that only a performer understands how you bear your soul and bear witness to opportunity. And that's when everything changed, you know? I mean, so I've always been a, a multi-hyphenate and I was, I was uh, socialized into ignoring that self for a long time. And it was when I came back and put all of those parts together that I found the freedom of expression and the in, the innovation to become the writer I am today. And and I, I swear when I get back to New York, I'm gonna go to Juilliard and 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 beguile some um some vocal coach to put whatever vocal cord and larynx is left <laughs> back, <laughs> back together. <laughs> but I'll 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 leave the, the heavy lifting to to you all Broadway Titans. You all are the masters and mistresses and and, and mavens of magic on the key. It's so I think that there is such a wonderful, wonderful comparison to gender and the multi hyphenate. Yeah. Because, you know, because the multi hyphenate is an artist that is experiencing a non-binary of art. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I want to do this. I want to be able to do that. And I think that there are certain guidelines to protect 
not only that person's artistry, but also like the the recipients are like say if one is if there's um if there's a an audition going out right Mm -hmm. and and or a job opportunity if there's a regional theater and they're looking for a stage manager right some some a person that has dabbled or has uh stage managed a friend's improv show for a um uh uh just just for a song would they would they apply for that job? Would they be considered for that job? And they have um, to have that conversation with themselves and understand if that if that skill can evolve into a proficiency and then they can hold down the cord of a regional theater. It's up to them. But regardless, we have, you know, actor, photographer, producer, we have all of these things where it's not just black and white. It's not yeah. just boy, girl. And it's the same with gender where we're getting society to go it's not just what you know it's actually this as well right well here here's the thing you have to think about along the road to commercialization we lost a really key link in the chain of uh art making which is that it is interdisciplinary by nature In fact, the very definition of art, as I remember it being taught to me when I was learning oil painting, comes from an Arabic word, which means putting fine things together. So it's collage-like, it's interdisciplinary in nature and in etymological fact. The word itself used to describe this activity which we perform is an act of putting things together. And when you start having to commodify something or departmentalize something in order to put it in a box so that it can be charged for at this rate or that union rate or this or that, the fluidity of the thing gets eroded along the way. Now, there is such a thing as auteurism as well. Somebody who sees, and I want to demystify and and, and undemonize that word because we look at the egoistic under underpinnings of that word. Oh, somebody who's a control freak or whatever. But I think I want to return to the understanding of an auteur as somebody who sees and processes narrative information in an interdisciplinary and holistic way, such that they, they conceive of an event. And when they conceive of an event, they are aware in the mechanisms that they are using to tell it of how different uh facilities, whether it's lighting, sound, uh, direction, producing, how these all work together holistically. I had, when I was growing up, I had many heroes. Two of them were Emily Mann and George C. Wolfe. And the reason is because they were storytellers that were able to waft between job descriptions because they understood theater making as one harmonious whole. Mm -hmm. It was one spiritual and civic event manifested by departments, but conceived of as one expression. And they possessed in their storytelling genius minds, the ability to put those fine things together. And at times they directed or at times they wrote or at times they did both or at times they, you know, were producing a piece, but the mentality the mentality of seeing the whole thing. That that is something that I can never turn off. 
if I'm directing a project, you know I'm going to be sitting there having an entire dramaturgical debate in my head. Of course. If I'm writing a piece, I'm going to be thinking about how are we manifesting this in three dimensions and what are the facilities that I can use in order to achieve that psycho-civic effect on the human mind mm-hmm. and, 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 and the social body that's watching it. Because it's all sleight of hand and a little bit of mind trickery, this whole thing. You know very well what happens when you sing a song in E-flat major. Everybody starts crying. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it has a particular psychological effect and it's intentional. Mm -hmm. And a writer that thinks holistically and understands holistically knows, okay, now now we're going into the nostalgia beat. Boom. Where's that E-flat? Boom. Call Judy. Get her on the phone. (laughs) No. But Michael, that's, that's the gift and the blessing, I think of starting out, you see, I believe in t- taking Meyer lemons and turning them into Meyer lemon marmalade. Hello, mm. not Who just marmalade, honey. Marmalade. Marmalade, which we can then put some seltzer water in and also have lemonade too. Serve it on the Titanic and, and, and call me for dinner because that sounds fabulous. That's right. Because here's what happened along the way of being told no. I found it as an opportunity to find yes. Of course. You know, I mean, that's the queer way of being in the world, I think, is we're constantly having to take our oppression and use it as a drum major for our ultimate justice and deliverance. So because I had to not perform, but I never lost my performally self, and I started exploring, directing, producing, writing, I developed a a multi-hyphenate mindset about Mm -hmm. storytelling. Mm -hmm. I took no and turned it into yes, and I actually think I'm better for it. Now I think we all are. You know, you know. Now I'm sure if I had honed the skills and I'd have been a fine, you know, torch song singer for a time. But I'm grateful for the person I became, I and am becoming still. You know. But I think you're right. We multi-hyphenates are better for it because there is longevity in in um, multiplicity of, of uh, understanding. It is the I think I think multi-hyphenating and what I'm what I'm uh, what I'm understanding in my studies and writing this book is um, that multi-hyphenating might be the one way that artists can subject themselves to a almost mathematical equation of hashtag quote unquote success in the Mm -hmm. industry Mm -hmm. because what it does is when one when one uh when one structural structural uh pillar of yeah. your hyph of your hyphen identity is in uh disarray or is having an identity crisis or it's willing to take on the next shape you can always call upon the next one you're always hustling and and always. also and because you're multi hyphenate you you know and have mastered the fine art of the pivot please you yes. know i mean we just we just live in the pivot and and because of that, because we're flexible and pliable, you know, 
vocationally. We're mm-hmm. able to slip and slide and move in and move out and be successful in various arenas. So we, we've done what Oprah always told us on her show. We have diversified our portfolio. Yes, we have. Speaking of multi-hyphenates, are you kidding me? <laughs> Hello. And That's I think, and I've said this in previous episodes, but I think multi-hyphenates are made primarily of women of color and the LGBT, LGBTQIA plus community because mm-hmm. our stories are not centered. And in right. order for us to tell our stories, we are the ones that are responsible for putting them on our shoulders and yeah. and raising them above the crowds and mm-hmm. and, se- and selling our wares in that in that respect. And on I think the that corner, on the on, corner, on the corner, and we we got it. We have to uh, figure out how to tell that story, and we got to figure out how to get it in front of the people with the money and we have to figure out how to get it into a mainstream or commercial or not commercial, like whatever it is, whatever the goal is, how to get it in a situation like that. And um, so I think by nature, what you were saying earlier is that I think the multi-hyphenate is, it is a chemical biological experience because the need to get a story across once, once, once we find the need to get a story across and once we find our why and our points of view, it doesn't matter the medium in which we tell the story. It just matters that we tell the story. Well, here's what it is. We're natural born entrepreneurs. We're natural born entrepreneurs by, by force. We have to be because we don't fit in anybody else's boxes and Mm -hmm. we don't, and we don't get invited through the front door. So we either have to find innovative ways of coming through the side or the back door or underground, or we have to create a door of our own. Mm -hmm. And all the while, we're both working on our businesses and in our businesses, and simultaneously having to live authentically in ourselves, but also abstract ourselves to be accessible to other people, such that we are both painstakingly specific and authentic, whatever that means for people, but also seeking some sort of universality. And the space that it takes mentally to create that kind of business and and sustain that kind of relationship to your art is, I think, the mental gymnastics of a very high-functioning chemically blessed, but neurochemically blessed individual. Now, whether that's nature or nurture, you would have to bring a psychiatrist on here, you know, <laughs> to, to explain how, how neuron and synapse works in the site of trauma, starvation, mm-hmm. and denial. Mm-hmm. What survival methods do people who are on the outside of the glass house develop biochemically in order to survive and last? That's the ultimate question. But I am no scientist, but I guarantee you some scientists would come on here and say, that crazy bitch wasn't that far off. And would would give you some, you know, Columbia Presbyterian approved statement of blah, 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 H154. And we don't know what the hell you just said. In in layman speak, honey, you had to develop some extra neurons and some electricity in your brain in order to survive. Period. Boom. Boop. Boop. Multi-hyphenates are also a sign of fight or flight. That's right. 
uh, we fight. We don't, if someone tells us no, we don't, we don't run away. We fight it. We go, all right. Even if we don't fight them directly. Right. We fight the, that, the blockage of the denial. We go, all right, thanks so much, sir. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so sorry. Like you won't. Okay, you won't give me the ten thousand dollars. I'm gonna go find it somewhere else. Okay, that's right. And the Capricorn in me, the Capricorn. <laughs> see, now I'm gonna add this because not only do I have the multi hyphenate thing, now I'm now I'm astrologically prone to yes. fights. And the the Capricorn in me relishes the process of creating systems to turn no into yes. In mm-hmm. fact, it is the the systematizing of turning fortune around, of mitigating vicissitude. Come on, vicissitude. I went to high hey, school with her. Ha, come on. Ha. <laughs> listen, listen, we on the, we on the Broadway network. I, I, I'm going to throw around some $300 words because we, we here for it. This is the place for it. Hello, babies. Mother is here. You know, but how do you turn no into yes? Well, you do it systematically. And somebody like me, you know, whether you believe in astrology or or, or chalk it all up to personality type, if you want to be so westerly inclined or, or, you know, secular, whatever it is, the fact of the matter is my personality type or astrological type, it enjoys the mental machinations of system building. I like it more than the result, honestly. You know, that's why I like rehearsal in tech on a show. I'm happy when a show opens and I'm happy if it's a smash and it's getting great reviews and that's all wonderful. But what brings me joy is the process of getting there. What what intelligence was tested? What skill sets were were really exercised, uh, sometimes surprisingly or unwittingly? What new... Uh, elements of craft or survival skill did I discover through this process that I will now take with me that will equip me for the journeys to come. That is exciting. There's nothing more dis- exciting than the discovery of uh, of of your own skill set. I love that. Finding out what you're made of. That's the beauty of life. That is the beauty of life. And that, and you say it so, so beautifully yourself. And uh, there is a, there is certainly a science to multi-hyphenating. There is a, there is a biological, chemical experience that is multi-hyphenating. And whether or not, like what you said, is it nature or nurture? Is we got to bring on someone to figure that out. But when it's applied, and I think you know, I think multi-hyphenating is a really interesting uh uh magnet of itself because there's a the ends sort of retract from each other like right um because on paper it looks like a very self-focused experience like it looks um like it's very me 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 i'm gonna take the story and i'm gonna star in it and direct it and take all these jobs from everyone else but really when it's rooted in service when it's rooted Uh in you know, and the multi hyphenate is usually it, it has to be rooted in service. Yes, uh, it, it has to be rooted. It, it we you know, and, and see, I'm here. I'm going to do this too. Um, we <laughs> have to remember the Africanist roots of Western drama. We have to remember that the first noted and Greek acknowledged 
ritual of theater was the festival of Isis and Osiris in which upper and lower Egypt were united in body and spirit so that winter could become spring and the harvest would prevail. We have to remember that the reenactment of the remembrance of Osiris's dismembered body, that act was a civic, public, and communal event that through performance brought unity to the people. We as multi-hyphenates were, and I think still are, spiritual leaders. We have a responsibility to the people and their connection to the stars. We tell the stories and write the tales of days gone by that remind people who they are, where they've been and where they're going. We cast the spells that enchant nature to let the sun rise and the moon fall and the rain descend upon us and the crops to grow. That's the power we have. If we harness it and acknowledge it with humility and grace and community engagement. And so anytime I get the opportunity to write a play or work in community with people on a project of mine, I know that it is a holy act. Mm -hmm. I know that it is a blessing, first of all, because opportunity is is so rare in the world. Opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. It is Stephen not a lengthy. Come on. Come on, Dr. Sondheim. Come on, Dr. Z- Dr. Zismore. <laughs> Hello. But, but more importantly than that, to whom much is given, much is expected in return. You know, there are people coming up after us who are looking at us in these moments of opportunity. And they are using us as possibility models for the roads they will travel. And so I believe we have to be doubly aware, aware of the road that we're on and aware of the road that we're on that other people are watching, looking to it as an example and a, a, a font of hope. It's so beautiful that you're saying this because I think um, in the corporate aspects of theater and the commercial aspects of theater, the joy is often taken out of it because Mm. we're constantly, like I said before, we're selling our wares. Yeah. You know, we're constantly, you know, like what you said, we're on the corner selling, making it get seen. Mm -hmm. So in the creation of things, it's so nice to hear you talk about the stars and about the crops growing and about the spiritual uh, divinity that is art. That is the art that we get to participate in. That's right. But but then on top of that, uh, the power and the control that we get to harness over what we produce, Mm -hmm. we don't get to just put it out there and hope that a a man with a lot of money is going to, is going to, rescue us and produce it in his theater. We get to make those decisions. I have to tell you, I work with one of the great producing minds alive today, Adam Hindman. I love Adam was a guest on this, on this podcast. That is my, that is, that is my brother from another mother. We are two black and, and Philippinex theater makers doing the good work from here to, Jesus and back. And I have to tell you what he believes about the role of the producer and how to engage with investors is revolutionary because he says 
we're not approaching investors for money. We're approaching investors to participate in the distillation of an ideal that is manifested through a play. He's saying, change the mindset of the investor. Don't tell them that they're going to get X, Y, and Z dollars back. Tell them that they're investing in something larger than themselves. And that the dividends are both monetary, but also iliomacenary. And by changing the philosophy and the communication method and the mindset of not only the producer, but also the the, uh, investor, you create a different culture around the occasion of producing work commercially. It does become in effect political because people are investing in the propagation of an idea. They are giving to a cause, not giving to, this ain't Merrill Lynch. This not ain't, Ernst Young. you know, and, 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 and I listen, I'm not knocking folks who are in the business of making money through art. I'm not. We've all got bills to pay, honey. And that insurance uh, fee every month, that premium is not going down. Okay. So I am not knocking it. I respect it. I understand. I could use some coins too. But what I am suggesting is that I think we have to view our role in the art making endeavor as something larger than ourselves at least sometimes to ground us because otherwise as you're suggesting we get lost along the way and the joy leaves mm-hmm. the joy leaves when you don't so as long as i'm making art in this business and and however high i may be blessed to climb on this little ladder of ours i will always be grounded in knowing that i'm responsible to the stars first that I came of stardust and that it sprinkled upon me a few dust mites of opportunity. That I was given a little bit of sight and insight into how to use language to sway this human spirit. And that's a gift. And I have a divine obligation to manifest work using that skill set with joy for the benefit of other people. Child, I said dust mites of opportunity. Lord help us, Jesus. <laughs> I was <laughs> you know, stardust, anything. I couldn't think of it. <laughs> when when Dear Multi Hyphenate is gonna start having um merch, I'm gonna make little dust mites of opportunity. Dust mites of opportunity. <laughs> Everyone can buy one. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I find that just, um, in, I find that there's a part of me that my initial reaction goes, yeah, but, you know, a Penn State grad money, you know, wants to, business person wants to be a billionaire, uh, you know, they, they don't think like us. They don't think like us. They don't uh, engage in the uh, possibility and they don't engage in the ethereal and they don't engage in the heart but then at the same time they do and I yeah. don't know if it's just been awakened yet and I think it is part of our responsibility it's I, I think what happens is as artists we go what what does our product Mm-hmm. inspire what is our product inspire like what do we want uh, what do we want the audience to do when they see our play when they see us on stage when they hear our song when they whatever but really the way that we inspire and affect is in every effort of ourself and that's what's really important about the multi-hyphenate is that from the beginning when we are working with investors to make that tw- to get those four 25k units if we're raising a hundred thousand dollars as a mm-hmm. co-producer mm-hmm. what we are doing is inciting change. Right. And I think that that is a really, really um, interesting way because people do want to change. People do want to say that they were a part of a momentous experience. Absolutely. Uh, And I find that to be, um, if we, I think if we look at it that way, I think we might be able to move uh, mountains a little, a little quicker. And I think you would identify funders that don't traditionally get tapped for projects because it's a different cultural model. You know, you phrase you phrase and ask one way and you get and you reach a certain t- types of demographics. You phrase and ask a different way and all of a sudden you open the market up to other people. You know, another thing that's interesting when we talk about diversity is also diversity of, of funding. Who is who has the ability to contribute to the future of an artistic work? Who do we make that opportunity available to? How do we open those doors and make that aspect of culture accessible to people that 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 are not quite ready to invest because they don't see themselves or their lived experience in in the ask? You know, I'm not even saying lived experience in the play, lived experience in the way that asking for money is presented. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that bank, you remember Ally Bank and it and it um, presented itself or purported itself to be a sort of a, the bank of the people. Well, it's probably gone now, but it was supposedly a bank that didn't have all the fees that was online and that was more egalitarian in its in its interfacing. You know, what I'm saying is, that I feel as though when, when we talk about how do you motivate people to give to a project? Well, you somehow 
discuss with them how that project is relevant to their lives and their lived experience, but also how bringing that project to the general public is contributing to some larger ethos that they feel a part of or want to be a part of. You open it up and you show the ways in which doing this project reflects their ideals larger than just the money exchange. And that's what I really think is quite beautiful and quite interesting about Adam's theories on on producing. It, It really opens up a completely different and broader perspective on the occasion for funding a work. It proves that the work is indeed larger than itself, not only thematically and ideologically, but also humanistically, because it's inviting people from different creeds and points of view who all want to see this idea explored and and are willing to invest in the propagation of that idea. It makes the exchange less binary Mm -hmm. and more fluid and actually more multi-hyphenate. It blends the efforts of commercial theater and artistic choices. Because some some people may be drawn to the political aspects of a piece. Mm -hmm. Some people may be drawn to the artistic aspects of a piece. Some people may be drawn to the, um, you know, to to the sort of social aspects. And it just opens it up and says, we've got something for everybody here. And we're willing to meet you where you are. And we've got, (laughs) you know. I don't think, I guess, I, I think what is, I'm looking at it like it's a music, like it's a, a piece of art at a, at an auction, right? And yeah. how, and how theater is the same in regards yeah. to raising money, right? Like you can buy, you could buy a piece of, you could buy the art piece right here. It's $25,000, except it's not, it's not going to be in your own home. It'll be at the Richard Rodgers Theater. It'll be at the right. Majestic Theater. And, right. but you, but, but this is yours and you will help. You will not only, you will, it, it's not only the finished product, but you will also help cultivate it and get it to where it is. There is this, it makes the commercial aspect of theater artistic. Well, it takes the individual ego out of it. Mm -hmm. It takes the individual need for self-affirmation and and acknowledgement. And it turns it around and says, yes, you will be acknowledged and you will be contributing to something larger than yourself. We never want the investor to not feel that they individually are appreciated. We love them. Mm -hmm. We just want to say, remember that we are all working collectively towards a much larger goal. You're amazing, Roger. I'm obsessed (laughs) with you. Oh Lord! So the reason why you're on your multi-hyphenate is to not yes. only just have an incredibly wonderful conversation about the multi-hyphenate perspective, but let's talk about why you're here. Even though we could talk about all things multi-hyphenating forever, but let's talk about the New Visions Fellowship. The New Visions Fellowship is an innovative and rigorous year-long professional development program created by National Queer Theater and the dramatist skill to support emerging black trans and gender non-conforming playwrights. And you are one of the founders and creators, and you will also serve as 
the new fellow, the 2021 fellows mentor. So tell me about it. Yes. I, so about a year ago, um, Adam Odsess Rubin brought me into a series of conversations with the Dramatist Guild um, and also the Dramatist Foundation to imagine how trans and gender non-conforming playwrights could be mentored in our changing and many times erasing business. We were very concerned at that time in how to develop the aesthetics and the professional um, awareness of young trans gender non-conforming black playwrights because they were and still are one of the one of the endangered populations within the American theater, rarely seen, often overlooked, and never truly understood. And my perspective on that was, well, we have a completely different way of telling story. And I gave an anecdote of a theater that gave me a, a quite an insulting rejection of a play because there was too much white space on the page. And the individual was so neurotically concerned with my ability to fulfill a certain time uh, budget. Uh, they were worried about the play being long enough to be read or, pre- or presented in a particular time frame. And they were concerned and suspicious of my use of white space as not fulfilling that time. I said, okay, now let me break this down. <laughs> you you are reading a play and see this is the, I'm going to do this. And we, we here on, you know, we here on this show. So I'm going to do this one. Do it. I believe that publishing culture of plays starting with Ben Johnson created a literary relationship to an ephemeral capturing. So we read plays from a two dimensional literary point of view. Now there's a, 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 a um, truly brilliant artistic director, B.J. Evans over at Brick Lab, who trains their readers to analyze a script for its potentiality, not just what they're seeing on the page, but how is this a blueprint for a three-dimensional event? The potentiality. Now, at the time I was, I, I had received this phone call. I was also falling madly in love artistically with a a playwright named A. Boylan, who had a piece called Virgo that was sort of a genderqueer coming of age piece. And at the beginning in their frontispiece, uh, or just after the frontispiece, they give an instruction to say, I'm gonna be having a lot of white space and this does not should not be read as an indication of performance time because we do a lot of performance and duration exercise and and expressionistic work that takes more time than is than is uh ocular that then we can provide the ocular proof for as shakespeare would call it on the page in other words this woman that was commenting on my white space on the page was reading the play from a dialogue-based cause and effect, cisgender, male-guided uh, realism perspective and saying, well, there's, you know, it's it's uh, you know about a minute or two per page, two minutes for monologue. I know what the hell this person was doing. Well, honey, we have a different time and a different rhythm and a different relationship. 
Sometimes I'm going to sit on stage and I'm going to spend five minutes just um, feeling myself. Because sometimes the scene just needs to say, she bathes in the moonlight of the morning after. The moonlight of the morning after. Now you figure that one out. Go, go call the top-notch designers in town and have them interpret that. And it's a feeling. And so I said, well, we need to identify and then cultivate the impulses of writers like myself and A. Boylan who develop work on the page that does not that, that's queer, that has a queer and queering relationship to dramaturgy. And we have to now educate the readership of this country on how to absorb these plays, not just as two-dimensional literary expressions, but for their potentiality as performance events. Because as queer folks who live outside of the binary, we are developing work that not only questions, but also dismantles and disrupts the boxes in which our stories were erased. Y'all didn't want me in your kitchen sink. I was the butt of the joke in the 90s on your on your sitcom. Mm -hmm. I was Coco who didn't make it past episode one of, of Golden Girls. Mm -hmm. So now how do I how do I make a world of my own? Well, it doesn't look or sound or feel or, or or receive expression in the same way that yours does. I said, we need to find, and, and if we can't find one, we need to build a home for that kind of work. And that's where the New Visions Fellowship came from. But in addition to that, I said, we got to teach these folks how to make it in the business. Because at the end of the day, we are CEOs of our own S-Cores. Mm-hmm. And we are small businesses and we have to learn not only how to build art, but how to talk about it and how to draw people who are culturally aligned with or intrigued by it to support and propagate the work. And so our fellowship, the New Visions Fellowship has a dual purpose. On one side, the fellowship is concerned with fostering the natural born and blessed talent of transgender non-conforming black playwrights. We meet them where they are and we amplify that brilliance. And on the other side, we provide professional workshops in terms of relationship to collaborators and designers and literary managers and the business at large so that folks know professionally how to navigate the business of theater in addition to how to make art, because I think it takes both to have a sustainable practice that's long lasting. You know, we're not gonna allow these folks to become the debut darlings and 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 vamp, vapid Vanessa's that fly that <laughs> that are here today and gone tomorrow. No, we're writing the new canon. Of and course. it's here to, and it's here to stay. And we want to build a house that will stand the test of time. And we have to do so by, by developing our craft, but also knowing how to survive this business. And so that's what we're doing. And um, our, our two fellows are um, 
and Lord, I'm going to get everybody's name, Ayla Sullivan and, and Nick Mwaluko. And, and, and if I've mispronounced either of your names, forgive me, darlings, but there are two fellows. And then we have a three finalists and another 10 or 12 um, honorable mentions. And I said to, to, to Emmanuel Wilson and, and to, um, to Adam says Rubin, this is a world where everybody wins. And so not only do we have programming for the two fellows themselves, but we also have a lot of these workshops. They'll be starting up soon for our larger community because 43 people who self-identified as black, trans, gender non-conforming and playwrights. My goodness, how specific that became. 43 people applied to this fellowship that self-identified within that demographic. Now, anytime any programmer says to you, I don't know any, um, you know, TGNC, POC playwrights, they ought to email me because I've got <laughs> 43 of them and I make a 44th one, you know? So if nothing else, this the application process this year was a, a pronouncement that we are here. I look at all 43 of those applicants and I tip my hat to every single one of them for being brave and innovative and brilliant enough to want to do this and 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 to submit to this program. And I have to tell you, I was I had the opportunity to interview the the folks that would be finalists and, and honorable mentions. And Michael, I want to tell you it was the most intriguing and inspiring anthropological uh, study I, and, and sociological education I'd ever gotten. Because what I learned was my people, trans, gender non-conforming black writers have had to create another country. They have developed aesthetics and theories of, of playmaking and styles of writing that are completely outside of mainstream or dominant cultural dialogue because they feel that they're not a part of that world and that they don't see themselves in that world. And so they've created another world. And I have to tell you, it's sheerly brilliant. Some of the uh, theories and ideas that these folks have about the reason and occasion for making work in the theater is staggeringly brilliant staggeringly brilliant and it inspired me to be on this to be on this tour of interviews i'm so um inspired by you and i'm so inspired by the work that you're doing and it's to me what a multi-hyphenate should be a multi-hyphenate should have a broad perspective of the ways that they can continue to enforce growth and inspire change and multi-hyphenates lift other artists up. It is a, it is a communal effort. While what I said before on paper, the multi-hyphenate experience looks self-focused because it's about us producing an, an experience um, with us relying on our proficiencies. It is really about lifting each other higher. And in turn, we create opportunities for other people. And yeah. I am so thankful for the opportunity to speak with you and I can't wait for 
more artists to get affected by your efforts and your words. And um, I'm a huge fan. Consider me a part of your family now, and I will do the same. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Well, I can be found. I'm, I'm most active on Instagram and my Instagram handle is at Roger Q for Quincy dot Mason at Roger Q dot Mason. And also on, on Facebook, I'm Roger Q Mason. And those are the two places where you can find me. And I would be remiss not to say that there are a few opportunities for folks to see some of my work in action right now. I'm not exactly sure when this will be airing, but through August 12th, my play, The Duot, which is a solo show about a wayward FBI informant during the Black Power Movement and his social, his, his spiritual awakening in the Egyptian afterlife. Yes, it's a mouthful, baby. And that, yes, and that is starring Greg T. Daniel from HBO's Insecure. That is at Center Theater Group's Digital Stage, and that will be through August 12th. And then I, I, I now can say that my film Taffeta, which is based on my play Lavender Men, will be premiering at the Bentonville Film Festival and also at Outfest. So look out for us. I know that both of those will have not only in-person uh, screenings, but also uh, some online screenings for folks. Congratulations, everyone. Get behind Roger Mason, Roger Q. Mason. They are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Patrick, for engineering this episode. Thank you, Broadway Podcast Network, Britt, Katie, Dory, Yo. You're all wonder. Alan, you're all so wonderful. And please follow Dear Multi Hyphenate on Instagram or at the Michael Kushner on Instagram. And also uh, get ready because how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business, conversations, advice, and tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate is coming out in the spring of 2022. So uh, you'll be learning more information about that. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.